Thank you guys. Man, can we give this worship team um, just a word of thanks? Yes, so grateful um, for their leading us um, just beautifully and faithfully to the throne um, to worship Jesus. And um, as Justin said, that is what uh, this weekend, that is what this morning is all about. Is to glorify Jesus' name, to see Jesus receive the glory here on the earth um, that he deserves. Um, that's why we do everything uh, that we do. And um, as Justin uh, did so well, he pointed out uh, this truth that we are not here for ourselves. We're not here so that we would receive any glory, that our church would receive any glory. But we're, we are here simply. And we've done um, this weekend, we've gathered this. And, and, and all of the labor that went into it was so that Jesus would be glorified. And, uh, man, it's, uh, it's such a gift. I think about if you're a guest with us, our church is about 10 years old. We're going to celebrate our 10-year anniversary on Easter Sunday and to just see what God has chosen to do, his faithfulness to us, uh, to use us. Um, I say this, we say this as a team very often. Um, we don't know exactly why um, Jesus has chosen to do what he's done, um, but it is so evident that he has chosen to move in this place and to use us. Um, and specifically when it comes to reaching the next generation, he has given us a tremendous opportunity and we are so unbelievably thankful. Last year we had our first time because of the growth of uh, this weekend. We had to come to this beautiful performing arts center for the first time. Um, this year we had to have two services because we couldn't have all fit if we had the high school uh, group and their parents and, and, and with us. We couldn't all fit. And so just to see um, what God is doing here is really a beautiful gift. We started this year out as a church. Um, focusing on a theme, a theme that we've repeated to ourselves and talked about a lot internally, and that is the theme of being faithful nobodies, that our desire, again, is not that our name would be made known or that we would do anything that would bring glory to ourselves, but we simply want to be faithful servants of Jesus Christ, faithful nobodies who can be forgotten, just like we will be, uh, completely forgotten one day, but that Jesus would receive all that glory. Um, and it's clear, again, that he is doing that. Um, I find find myself just in a bit of attention because that is what our desire is. We do want to simply be faithful nobodies and so many in this room are a part of that. Um, but I also am compelled by scripture to give honor to whom honor is due. And I feel I would be remiss if I did not uh, give uh, honor to Justin um, Bexley for uh, really leading this weekend. And uh, he and his wife, Laura, um, they have poured out their lives um, as I'm about to talk about, they have made a value judgment for their lives to use their lives for the sake of the kingdom and specifically for our student ministry. And I am so thankful uh, for Justin and his leadership, for Laura. Um, Justin, um, he has a day job. He doesn't get paid to do any of this. Um, he counts chicken for a living and uh, he does a little bit more than that. But that's kind of how my simple mind understands what he does. And, and, uh, and, and, and here, um, he has just given his life. So can we just honor and bless Justin and say thank you to them. Last night, our students looked at Acts chapter 9 and the conversion of Saul. As we turn now to God's word and we remember that message, students, you'll remember Saul was converted. He was completely transformed. His life was completely turned around by Jesus. We looked at the story of Saul becoming Paul when he was saved. He went from being this great persecutor of the church who thought he was doing what God would call him to do by trying to kill every Christian he could find, trying to do anything he could do to slow down the work of the church, to diminish the work of the church. And then he met Jesus. And when he met Jesus, he went from someone who hated 
hated the church and was doing all he could do to stop the church to, as Tim alluded, its greatest missionary. 10,000 miles of walking around the globe sharing the name of Jesus and proclaiming the gospel to anyone who would listen to him. This is who Paul was. And so this morning, I want to continue to pull on this thread of what does it mean for us to be undivided. Paul was a clear example of a man whose life was undivided. He was solely focused on bringing glory to Jesus, on proclaiming the name of Jesus wherever he would go. And as we think about what it means to be undivided, um, Jesus has a word for us, I believe, in Matthew chapter 16. The undivided soul is a soul that has counted the cost and decided it is worth following Jesus. Someone who has counted the cost. These young leaders have counted the cost to follow Jesus and to be used by God in this weekend. They counted the cost and they said, it's worth taking time off from work. It's worth leaving my last weekend before I have to go back to college. It's worth giving my time away for students that most of them, they have no knowledge of them. They may know maybe little brother, little sister or something like that. There may be a few relationships that linger, but for the most part, these leaders gave this weekend away because they counted the cost and they said, Jesus is worthy of that time to pour into the next generation. All the others that made this weekend possible, they counted the cost. As I just alluded, as a clear example, Justin and Laura are clear examples to us of a people, a family that have counted the cost. And really, following Jesus comes down to, as we're going to see in Matthew chapter 16, it is a bit of an economic question. It's a question of what economy are we striving to live in? The kingdom of the world or the kingdom of God? And in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus calls his disciples and explains to them what his ec economy looks like, what the economy of the kingdom of God looks like. And so if you're able, would you stand out of reverence for God's word as I read from Matthew chapter 16, just four short, short verses, 24 through 28. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you spoke these words to your disciples to teach them what it means to follow you with their whole lives. And we thank you by the power of your spirit that you preserved your word so that we could hear this morning from you. As we hear this word, we receive it. It is not just as if, it is you speaking to us. As if we were sitting with you just as the disciples were when they first heard you say these. Help us to receive your word with the same attention and devotion. Holy Spirit, would you move in this place? Would you shape our hearts? Would you correct us? Would you reorient us? Help us to understand what it is that you strive to teach us. Have your way in this place, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. 
Now, this passage of Scripture is a rather famous passage of Scripture. Perhaps some of you, if you grew up in church or have spent any time in church, you may have heard this before. At least you perhaps have heard that phrase, take up your cross and follow me. But to understand exactly what Jesus is saying here, we have to have a little bit of context of what happened before. See, this is a continual conversation that Jesus has been having with his disciples. And primarily, he's been having this conversation with his disciples, really a focus between Peter and Jesus. If we back up a little bit to the middle of chapter 16, we see this conversation, two primary characters, Jesus and Peter. The first conversation, Jesus asks Peter, who do you say that I am? See, there's so many people in the world at this time when Jesus was walking on the earth who weren't sure about who Jesus was. They had all sorts of ideas or potential thoughts of this. But Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? What, if you, what do you believe about me? And Peter responds to Jesus and says, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the promised son of God who came to redeem a people and to rescue us. This is who you are. And Jesus, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but Jesus says back to Peter, Peter, well done. You are correct. But it is only the Spirit of God that could allow you to know that truth and to believe that truth deeply in your soul. And it is that truth that you just professed that I'm going to build my entire church on. That I am the Messiah, that I have come to redeem a people. What you professed, that truth, is the truth. And he praises Peter. And Peter In his boldness, we know a little bit about Peter's life and through the various stories, I don't have time to go into every single one of them, but we know Peter to be a zealous follower of Jesus, a a passionate follower of Jesus. And so I can just imagine when Peter hears those words from Jesus that, yes, you are right, Peter, and I'm going to build my church upon you, that Peter felt filled with joy and felt as if, yes, I am doing the right thing. God, that I know is God, is pleased with me. Well, then just a few moments later, Jesus says to Peter and the rest of the disciples, but it's not going to happen as you think. Peter, you're right. I am the Messiah. I have come to redeem a people. I have come to establish the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven, but it's not going to happen like you think. I am going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer The religious leaders of the day are going to persecute me, and ultimately they're going to kill me. I must suffer and die, and then I will take up my life again three days later and establish my kingdom. And Peter, again, with that zealous, that passion for Jesus, Peter essentially says to Jesus, Lord, that ain't happening on my watch. You're not going to die. If somebody's going to die, I can imagine Peter probably thought to himself, I'll be the one that's going to die. I'm going to stand in the way of you going to the cross or being attacked. I will defend you, Jesus. You are my Savior. You are my God. I will not let you die. And Jesus responds to Peter and he says, what some of us have put on a shirt, not today, Satan. Get behind me. He rebukes Peter strongly. He says, get behind me, Satan. And Why does he say that? Because what Peter was doing was the same thing that Satan had originally done with Jesus when Jesus first began his ministry. When he went out into the wilderness, Satan tried to tempt him and say, hey, you can have all of the things. You can have the kingdom. You can be worshipped and praised and honored and all of those things. But you don't have to die to do that. Just fall down and worship me. And Peter essentially says to Jesus, 
the same thing. He tries to offer up the same temptation. You can have the kingdom. You can do things what you intend to do, but you don't have to die. You don't have to do it that way. In just a few short verses, Peter, feeling proud, I can imagine if he was walking around in our day, he would have been listening and singing along to Sparks Fly. And then just a few moments later, singing My Tears Ricochet. There's no Swifties in the room like there were in high school. (laughs) One right down here, she got that. That's for the kids, for parents. But he was on the high of highs, feeling as if he was following Jesus and doing exactly what he should do. You are right, Peter, to get behind me, Satan. And I don't know if you've ever felt the rebuke of God on your life. You've ever felt some sort of a just, hey, you need to stop. We probably haven't heard, get behind me, Satan. These are strong words that Jesus uses. And so when he does this, in this conversation between Jesus and Peter and the disciples, what Jesus, as God, clearly understands is, I need to teach them a little bit more of what it means to truly follow me. We celebrated 10 new believers I expect a few of you are in this room right now, 10 who have said, I'm gonna follow Jesus. And so from this day forward, from last night, moving forward, this is your calling. For all of us who would profess Jesus as Christ, this is our calling. And if this isn't how we live, if our, our, our lives are out of step with what Jesus teaches us, we need to hear this word from Jesus right now. This is what Jesus teaches them as he understands this confusion about what it means to truly follow him. Jesus says that I must go. And he says, this is what you're going to have to do. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. See, Peter and the disciples, they thought they understood who Jesus was and what he was intending to do. But through this first phrase, through this first statement of Jesus, we learn that this was, that Jesus was an unexpected Messiah. We've just spent the entire Christmas season talking about Jesus coming as an infant, as a baby, in an unexpected way, in an unexpected city. He continued to live that. And even here, these disciples, they didn't expect the Messiah to be going to the cross. He was, it was an unexpected way of thinking. This is why Peter wouldn't let him, would say, I'm not going to allow you to be persecuted. Because that's not what's supposed to happen. The Messiah is supposed to come, redeem the world, overthrow Rome, all who would stand in the way of us living out our Christian lives and our Christian values and all those sorts of things. We're supposed to stop them. We're supposed to stand in the, in the way of that and not allow that to happen. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not, that's not what's supposed to happen. It was an unexpected way. This is, again, why Jesus responded in the way that he did. His desire, what Jesus was saying and modeling for his disciples even in that moment was complete obedience to the will of the Father. I don't do it my way. I don't do it Satan's way. I don't do this the worldly way. I do this in complete and perfect obedience to the will of the Father. And the Father says that if I'm going to redeem a people, there must be a sacrifice. There must be atonement for sin. I will be the one who goes to the cross. And so Jesus says, You have to do what I'm about to do. Deny yourself. Justin alluded to it, Philippians chapter 2. Jesus did not live for himself. 
Part of why our church, we have been talking about since the beginning of this year, not 2024, but the beginning of this fall year, be people who are faithful nobodies. We want to be a people who are not trying to live for ourselves. We want to follow Jesus. We want to deny ourselves. We want to humble ourselves in the same way that Jesus did. Philippians chapter 2 explains it beautifully. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourself, which is yours. If you would just listen to Jesus, it'll be yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He did not say, I need to tell everybody that I'm God. He says, I will empty myself of that by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus says, I deny myself. I don't live for myself. I live for you, Peter. I live for you, disciples. I live for you, City Church. I live for you, for the entire community of Melissa, Anna, Van Alstine, and Collin County. I live for you, the world. I've given my life for the world deny myself and we if we're going to come after him if we're going to follow follow him as he says in another place the disciples those who follow him are not greater than their master we must live our lives in the same way that our master lived if we call him lord and savior we will deny ourselves and say it is not about me there are few things that are as counter-cultural as that statement alone it's not about me how many of us have just marveled at all of the things on social media that just tell everyone that it's all about me. This wasn't hot enough. This wasn't on time. This was delayed. This situation didn't go my way. This, this, that we just, we just love to voice all of our situations where we've, the entire focus of our lives is on ourselves. If we're going to follow Jesus, we will deny ourselves just as Jesus would do and said he would do. Then he says, take up your cross. How do we deny ourselves? What is the means? What does that look like? How do I actually do that? And that's a worthwhile question to ask. What what does it mean to deny myself? Well, just as Jesus did, we take up our cross. Jesus took up his cross to die and atone for the sins of the world. We deny ourselves and say it's not about me and daily, even moment by moment, take up our cross and die to ourselves and say it's not about me. I live for another. I lay down my life. I'm a servant. Again, these leaders, students that have led you this weekend are beautiful models of young people who say, I'm going to take up my cross. I'm going to spend a weekend with 6th, 7th, and 8th graders who can be a little bit challenging at times, who can be a little bit messy, who can be a little bit noisy, who can do, just like all of us, by the way, students, I'm not picking on you. I can be a little bit messy. I can be a little bit noisy. I can be all those sorts of things. But these, and most of them, again, they didn't even know you. God ordained that they would be here and spend this weekend with you to show you his love. They took up their cross this weekend. They denied themselves and said, whatever it costs, whatever lack of sleep, whatever thing that I must endure so that these children, these students might know the love of Christ, I'm willing. And we can do that every day of our lives. Take up our cross and then follow me. 
and we follow Jesus means that we consistently look to Jesus. Do you know that you cannot follow someone that you cannot see? Just yesterday, we were playing a game with our student ministry and I was in a vehicle and my wife was in another vehicle and I was sure that she saw me turn, but that was not the case. And so she was intending to follow me and my expectation was that she would be following me, but as she was trying to follow me, and it's my fault, by the way, I was going too fast. I wasn't sensitive enough to slow down. There's a lot of things I need to learn. I'm growing in that grace. But just so you understand, she was intending to follow me and she couldn't follow me because she couldn't see me or she didn't see me. If we're not going to, if we can't see Jesus, if we're not spending time with Jesus, if our lives aren't centered on Jesus, we're not going to be able to follow him. Students, you will not follow Jesus if this word is not the center of your life. If you don't spend time with other believers, if the community of God is not a part of your life, you're going to have a really hard time following Jesus. I tell you this every single Sunday if you're a part of our church. I don't tell you to come to church because it makes my ego feel good or anything like that. I tell you to come to church. I tell you to be a part of the church because we need one another if we're going to follow Jesus. I need people telling me, look at Jesus, Ryan. Look at Jesus, Ryan. Look at Jesus. I need Justin doing all the things that he's done this weekend so that I could look to Jesus more faithfully. I need you just like you need me and we need one another and we need God. We've got to follow him. We've got to look to him. Our attention must be on him. And so this is what Jesus begins and how we do that. We will do that when this unexpected Messiah gets a hold of our lives in such a way that we begin to understand how he operates, which is in an upside down economy. As I said, this message and this word from Jesus is essentially about economics and Jesus is explaining to his disciples his upside down economy you come and follow me you're going to be a part of an upside down economy and this is how he says it for whoever will save his life verse 25 if you're going to follow me if you're going to deny yourself and take up your cross you're going to be a person who says for whoever would save his life will lose it But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Jesus, in his kingdom and in his economy, is a completely upside down economy. It's backwards than all of the ways of the world. We chase after so many things that cannot save us. And this is why Jesus says to his disciples, says to us, if you want to save your life, if you want to find life and hope, eternal life, you're going to have to say, I will lose it, just as Jesus was about to go and lose his life on the cross. Things get backwards. Do you know? You won't take anything from this world. Nothing goes with you. No power, no prestige, no money, no friends, No relationships, all of those things that you value, the number of likes on this social media, the followers, the this, the that, all of those things that you've built up, parents, adults, as we've built up our lives and whatever we've strived to do, all of those things will completely fade away. Do you know every year the average American gives $46,000 as a, passes on $46,000 in inheritance to the next generation? And I don't say that as that's wrong to build up an inheritance. I'm going to do my best. I apologize to my sons. I'm a preacher, so we're going to have to work on that later. But anyway, it's right. It's worthwhile that we should try to pass on and do our best and all those sorts of things to care and bless the next generation. The problem isn't that. What the point of the story is, is that every year an average American passes on $46,000, a lot of money, that they can't take with them. 
It doesn't go with you. And we center our lives so much around effectively building our own kingdoms, building our lives, building ourselves up, whether it's for us, whether it's for our families, whatever it is, we build and we build and we build and we build. And yet we take nothing with us. Jim Elliott, a missionary who was sent to the nations to take the gospel and to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus who had called him, said this before the people that he was sent to ultimately killed him. He was sent to a people to take the gospel, the hope of Jesus to them, and they killed him when he got there. But this is what he said, a famous quote before he died. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's the upside down economy of the kingdom. You can give away and give away your life because by the way, you're not keeping any of it. And give it away and give it away and give it away. And yes, I mean money, but I also mean life and talents and gifts and serving and looking at others and trying to understand how can I give my life to them? How can I pour my life into them? That means discipling others. That means pouring into these next generation of kids, opening up your homes. All that we have seen done are just examples of this. We give our lives away because... We can't keep any of it anyway. And we gain through following Jesus what we will never lose, eternal life. There's nothing wrong, friends, with pursuing your dreams, being wise stewards of your resources, working hard, building companies, building your families, all the things that we strive to do. But the moment... We let those things, those aspirations replace our pursuit of Jesus. We're headed down a very dangerous path. Do all those things, but keep Jesus as your focus. Keep your eyes on him and realize that whatever you're doing, you're doing it in the economy of the kingdom of God, which won't make sense to the world. It won't make sense to others. See, Peter thought, Lord, you can be Messiah. You can rule. You can do exactly what you intend to do. But you don't have to give up your life. You're God. You can do it another way. And the reality is, if we're honest with ourselves, don't we find ourselves trying to do that over and over and over again? I want to be a Christian. I want to follow Jesus. I want Jesus to be the aim of my life. I want all of these things. But I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to do it still kind of playing the world's game, living in the world's economy rather than in the kingdom of God's economy. And Jesus rebuked Peter for that. I've said this before. There are worse things in life than accomplishing, or excuse me, there are worse things in life than not accomplishing your dreams or goals. There are worse things in life than failing at whatever objective you've put out there. You know what's worse? Students, parents alike. Achieving everything and then find that it never satisfies. That's the upside down economy of the kingdom of God. Ultimately, if we've banked our life on some form of achievement or performance, when we get to the end of our life, when we're standing before Jesus, as we all will, we will find everything that we have to offer very, very lacking. What do you have to offer 
the God of the universe who created this world and everything in it, including you. We can't build enough because that's not what God calls us to do. God calls us to live our lives for him and say, yes, Jesus, you're right. What will it profit if I gain the whole world and forfeit my soul? I don't want to do that. Thankfully, we have a Savior who meets us even in those moments where we start to build our lives on some form of achievement or performance or anything else like that. We have a Savior who welcomes us with undeserved grace, which is how Jesus closes this section of his, this conversation with his disciples. He says, again, don't try and gain the world and forfeit your soul because the Son of Man is going to come with his angels and the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. There's a day where we're going to stand before Jesus. And again, as we stand before Jesus, are we going to try and present him with all the things that we have done? Look at what I've created. Look at what I've built. Look at my money. Do you think God lacks any of those things or isn't the one who gave you all of those things in the first place? This would be like me going up to Dak this afternoon saying, hey, Dak, let me see one of them footballs. Let me, let me show you how far I can throw it. And Dak would rightly say, that's cute, little buddy. Like you threw it 20 yards. I'm honest with my abilities. That can do any, his abilities far, and, and that's just a, the silliest comparison I could come up with, but we're going to come before God and we're going to say, look at what I've built. And God's going to say, I didn't call you to do any of that. That's, that's not why you are going to be welcoming. I'm going to come to Jesus I'm going to stand before him and I'm going to be prone on my face with my hands wide open, completely empty. And I'm going to say to Jesus, I have nothing. I offer nothing to you, Jesus, except for a life that I've strived to live for your glory. And do you know what? When I present nothing and I come to Jesus with hands completely empty, you know what he will say to me? The promise of scripture says he will say, well done thy good and faithful servant. Enter into your great reward and enjoy all of the blessings that I have secured for you. That's what Jesus does because he offers us undeserved grace. And so when Jesus says to his disciples, the son of man is going to come with all of the glory of his father. You're gonna see me and you're gonna know that it's me and there's not gonna be any doubting that I am God and my authority and my rule and all of those sorts of things. I'm going to come and I'm gonna repay each person for according to what he has done. There's two types of people when, that in, the, in this text or that, that read this text. One person reads that Hears that and says, God, Jesus is going to come and is going to repay us for what we have done. And we hear judgment. We hear a bit of condemnation. We feel a little bit as if that is God, we just kind of pressing down upon us. The other type of person hears that and says, I'm going to be repaid for what I have done. And I know what I have done is I've put my hope in Jesus. And so when I am repaid, it won't be judgment or condemnation. It will be undeserved grace. You don't have to do anything. 
Yes, as followers of Jesus, we lay down our lives and we give them away. We deny ourselves. We follow him and pursue him. But Jesus says when it comes to that day of judgment, the question will simply be, it won't be a list of good and bad. It won't be things that you try to stack up for or against you before God. It will simply be, what have you done with Jesus? How have you responded to Jesus? And if you are someone who has said, I've put my faith in Jesus. I believe that he went to the cross, that he denied himself, laid down his life, and he did that for me, for my sins, just as I would say is the story of my life. That we can read those words with hope. Our speaker, Tim, so thankful for him being here last night. He told our students, see, the gospel message for those who are apart from Jesus It's hard, feels painful. There's judgment because you've put your hope in the wrong things and Jesus is calling that out. But for those of us who have put our hope in Jesus Christ, the gospel message is sweet, undeserved grace and joy. So I'd ask you, friends, if you're a believer in this room, many of us, need to reconsider what it means to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow Jesus. And if you're not a believer, if you don't know Jesus, if you're unsure of who he is, can I tell you that he offers to you undeserved grace? There's nothing in your life that you will bring to Jesus where he's gonna say, yeah, that's a bit too messy. He's gonna say, no, that's too much. No, we bring our lives to Jesus and we say, I trust you, I put my faith in you. And Jesus, at the end of our lives, will say to us, when we put our faith in Jesus, well done. I love you. The worship team is going to come out and prepare to lead us as we close our service this morning. We're going to sing a song that tells The story of some ways what we just said, what we just talked about. The world is very broken. Things so often don't make sense. The world's economy is completely backwards. It puts its trust and its hope and its confidence in stock markets and in financial measurements and in people and in numbers and all sorts of things. All of that just evidence of brokenness. There's death in the world, evidence of brokenness. There's hopelessness in the world, evidence of brokenness. There's anxiety and depression and pain and suffering. All of those things, evidences of brokenness. And then Jesus entered in. He came to turn the world upside down and offer us this undeserved grace. And because of that, he is worthy of our lives, friends. He's worthy of it. You may be thinking, that sounds right. (laughs) It sounds even a bit hopeful. I don't know what to do. How do I live my life for Jesus? Let me just give you an encouragement. I'll be down around the room. A few of our elders, other leaders will be around the room. Just take one step, one step towards saying, I want to be obedient to the Lord. I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit is speaking to each and every one of us, has a message for you specifically this morning. Somehow through my words, he's speaking to you. 
don't too quickly move on from that. As we sing this song and declare that Jesus is worthy of our lives, consider what does that really mean for me? How do I live that out that he is worthy? How do I deny myself, take up my cross and follow him? How can I do that today? Jesus will meet you with so much grace. And I can say that not because I'm a preacher, not because I've studied or anything. I can say that because that's the testimony of my life, friends. There's at least a handful of you in this room that know me well enough to know. I got nothing. I stand before Jesus with open hands. And he has met me and met me and met me with undeserved grace over and over and over again. So much so, that yes, I've given my life to tell that story to as many as who would hear it. Lord Jesus, would you come? Would you meet with us now? Would you speak to us? Would you help us to know how we can faithfully follow you as we depart from this gathering this morning? Would you help us to take just one more step of obedience, of humility? Give us wisdom, clarity, give us discernment. And would you give hope to those who are far from you? Would you move right now and declare, yes, I'm worthy and I call you to myself. I love you. Speak that word to us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., and we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God, the good of the city, and the hope of the world. Oh, oh you say.